praise Him for that. So if you'd like to look with us, we're in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. 12th chapter of Romans. We got down last time, verse 17, verse 18. Um, So maybe, however the Lord would lead. I'd like to move pretty quick. We've been slow, it seems like, continually, but... Uh, We'll start in verse 17, get our thoughts together. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. So he says here uh, not to recompense evil for evil, not to do, uh, not to do one as you're done. That's you know that's very much the the nature of man to return good for good. That's the natural way of man. (coughs) But to return good for evil, that's absolutely contrary to any natural desire that man has. You know, that's the way the Lord would have His people that are regenerated to live and walk in this world. That our lives would be absolutely contrary to the natural way of man. And you know, that, that proves that there's been a work done in the inward man, that we're not the same. We're not, uh, if you'll have it, Adam's race alone any longer, but we've been redeemed and born into the family of God. And because God has shown us goodness. You know, if God worked like this, keeping an account and He's going to give back to us according to how that we give to Him, we would have been shortchanged and cut off. But because we were evil towards God, we were rebellious towards God, we sinned against God and, and not just unknowingly sinned, but knowing what the Word of God says, so often we willingly chose to sin against God. And yet God gave us the goodness and Goodness is just, that's not enough of a word, the truth. That God gave His Son, Jesus, that His life would be given and sacrificed that we could receive not just forgiveness, but receive a a bringing into the family. And and not just a, a distant relative, but that we could all be brethren to the Lord Jesus Christ. And not brothers that live in different states, but brothers that have the same unifying Holy Ghost in each one of us, my gosh, what, what goodness that the Lord has shown to us when the truth, what, what good have we really done for Him? The truth is, if there's been any good, any real biblical good that's come out of us, He has brought that out of us by His Spirit that lives within us. There's been no good produced from me. Man man has a hard time believing that I can't do good. But we can't. We're unable to do good as God says it's good. Even Even as we would come to pray, if you're not very careful and you're in your carnal mind, you'll look who's next to you and you'll say, I'm going to pray this so they can hear. That's the way man works. Man's man's not seeking to do good towards God. Man's seeking his own good. And yet God has been good to us 
shown us the greatest mercy. The Lord Jesus says, no greater love. There is no greater love than that a man would give his life for his friends. So God has returned our evil. He's gave us the greatest good. And so He expects me, as I've done good to you, I expect you to do good to others. Not just to them that's good to you. The publicans do that. The unregenerate do that. That doesn't prove anything to a dying world. But you know, when somebody's evil to you, and you don't seek that vengeance, but you can be good and loving back to them in return, that makes me think, well, what in the world are they doing? And so there's where the Lord would have His people to live. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. So it's not obvious, but that word provide there, if you, if you look that up in the original Greek, it's looking, looking towards the future. It's laying up in advance. It's looking down the road and, and we're going to provide for that need that we see that's coming. It's the first of the month. We've got bills. I'm sure we've made provision in the last month to have money right now to meet that need that we knew we were going to have. So that's what he's saying here. And, and you know, at the end of chapter 13, he's going to say, make not provision for the flesh. So I believe here you can see the opposites. You got one, don't, don't lay up and prepare for the flesh that it can indulge itself in sin. But here, make preparation that you might live honestly. That's beautiful or good or beneficial in the sight of all men. What should the desire of the church be? That, that we live an honest and a virtuous life in the sight of all men. And that we should lay up for that. Now how can I provide in advance for me to live an honest and a pure life in this world before men? Uh, I believe God's gave us some, some tools that we can use to prepare us. And we talked about a couple weeks ago the Word of God. We can dig into the Word of God and, and receive, you know, not, not instruction from a professor. That might be great depending on what you're taking and learning about, but we've got God Almighty's instruction breathed out from His mouth as He spoke. And you know, I realize God's hand didn't write this. God's hand did write on tables of stone one day. But God's hand did not write this. But you know, we say here, here's the letter that was written to the church at Rome by Paul the Apostle. And all likelihood is Paul didn't write this. But Paul was sitting in a seat and maybe Timothy or one of his other helpers was sitting with a notebook and a pencil. And Paul spoke this. History says Paul had eye trouble. Couldn't really write. But Paul would speak the Word and their hands would write it down. So even though Paul's hand didn't write it, it was Paul's words. So that's the way the Word of God is. Paul writes to Timothy that every Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that means God breathed. That is, Moses was writing Genesis. 
It's Moses' hand writing it, but God is breathing that out. He's speaking that to Moses and Moses is writing as God would lead him to speak. And if, if it was not that way, then you've got all of this time period, 2,500, 3,000 years between the first book and the last book. You've got all these different men. You've got kings and rulers and, and rich men. And you've got the poorest and, and ignorant and unlearned. You've got highly educated men and men blessed with the greatest wisdom that ever has been on the face of the earth. And you've got men that, that the Pharisees said they're ignorant and unlearned. Now how could you have any unity with that great a time span and all of those different people except there be one author and he's just using them to pin it down. So we've got the Word of God and God has... You know, prayer, prayer didn't exist till God gave that to man. Man didn't have a way to come to God. Man didn't have a way to present his needs to God. Man fell in the garden and where man was was I'm going to run and hide from God. When God would just speak, we're going to go and run and hide from Him. But God's gave us a way to lay our petitions out unto God to ask Him for strength and for help. And I, I believe through those, as well as the Word of God preached, the Word of God taught, God's gave us all these things that we might grow, that our lives might be prepared for the day that's to come tomorrow. Though we don't know what's coming tomorrow, by the grace of God, by the strength of His Word, by the leadership of the Spirit, He can prepare us for that, that our lives might be honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. That's verse 18. So if it be possible, is it possible to live peaceably with all men? But by the book, by the way the book is written, it's not going to be possible. And I say this, if you're going to do the right thing, if you're going to be a follower of God, and if you're going to stand up on the truth, just that is going to cause strife and friction between two people. It will. It'll cause a, a division there. But it's, you see, that's a division because of the truth. It's not that I've given any good reason for there to be strife between us. You see that? So he says, if it be possible, as much as life in you. So if there's going to be a division or a schism, or if there's going to be strife between two people, then as much as life in you. So don't let this as much as life, that, that's that word origin or the point which action proceeds from. That's the meaning of that word. So as much as in you, don't let this strife originate on your part. You as the people of God, you should do everything you can to prevent strife, to prevent division, to placate and, and set aside wrath, and to live peaceably with all men. And if there's going to be a division... And if there's going to be anger and strife, don't let it originate from you. 
Don't cause the problem. But if man is unwilling to live peaceable and you've done your part to be peaceable, if there's no togetherness there, if, if there's still division, then, then we're free of that. Do you see that? So it shouldn't originate in us. He says this in Psalms 34, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So making effort to have peace among men, and I, I believe this, among the brethren, there should always be peace. If God's in me and God's in you, if we believe the same Word of God and our desire is that the Word of God be the rule and the guide and the standard for our lives, then we ought to always have unity in that. But when you've got a saved person that's a a member of another country that's got a renewed nature and a new life within them living amongst a world that's corrupt and evil and sinful, there's not going to be unity in all things. So we're to do all that we can to have unity, but never now, never to compromise the truth. If it's either having no strife and compromising the truth or there be a strife and we stand up for the truth, we should always stand up for the truth. Letting the truth of the gospel be exalted and honored. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So providing all things honest, and as much as within you be peaceable, live peaceably with all men. And if those two things aren't there, are people going to see the Lord? See, in, in Hebrews, without holiness and without peace, man's not going to see the Lord that's within us. And I, I believe... I believe really that's common sense. If I'm going to go out and stir up a bunch of trouble and I'm going to go out and, and I'm going to be mean to my neighbor or mean to my co-worker, they're, they're not going to see the Lord in that. They're going to see me and they're going to despise me and they're going to be angry at me. And if, if I live in filthiness, if I talk filthy and obscene, There's no glory to the Lord going to be seen in that way of living. And so this this peaceableness, the children of God ought to be children of peace. They ought to be peacemakers. They ought to be those that seek after, even if we're done wrong. Even if we're done wrong, we ought to be peacemakers. And so, dearly beloved, verse 19, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So we've already talked about this in the last couple of times that we've taught. But the Lord says, Don't you seek after vengeance. And it's important to see this. Man thinks in his mind that will. Uh, vengeance and revenge, that's, 
that's an evil thing no matter what, but it's not an evil. God is going to get vengeance. God is going to bring justice. And the wicked, they're going to pay for their wickedness. The ungodly are going to pay for their ungodliness. But what's wicked is when I seek after vengeance. That's what's wicked. Because God says, I'm in control. Why, preacher, uh, uh, we're going to be done wrong and and I'm never going to be satisfied. They're going to get away with it. Do you believe God's in control? Do you believe that, that God is just and holy and pure and, and nobody's getting away with anything? Do you believe that? God says, I'm in control. I'm the judge. I'm the ruler. You don't have to worry about getting revenge. You don't have to worry about making somebody pay. But you trust in my power and you trust in my hand and believe this, vengeance is mine. It belongs to me. And I will repay, saith the Lord. So God's going to seek and bring about payment for the iniquity and sin of man. And you know, as we would seek vengeance, and God forbid that it be among the church that we would want vengeance. God forbid that that ever happened. Me and Morgan were talking this morning, and I said, I said, you know what you got to remember? You've got to remember that there were times in our spiritual life that we were foolish, that we were wrong, that we thought wrong, that we believed wrong, that we acted wrong. And so when we see somebody else in their spiritual life, we've got to have some compassion and reasoning and recognize the Lord may bring them along to that. And if the Lord hadn't brought me along or you along, you'd have never got past that either. But thank God where we are, each one where we are, but we ought, to, we ought to be able to look back and see where we've come from, where we've grown, where we've suffered. And God's grown us and, and give us a different understanding and a different thinking and a different look upon everything round about us and recognize others not had that opportunity to grow. So God forbid that we look on a brother or a sister and say, I want vengeance on them. God forbid. But in the world, you know, the world is evil. The world is wicked. The world would seek to hurt and to destroy. And that's all the world can seek because they're of their father the devil, and the devil's a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. And so it'd be easy to say, I, I'd like to see and I'd like to bring judgment upon them. That's the way I want to make them pay. I want them to know. And I want them to feel. And I want them to understand what I've went through. And I'm going to bring that on them. God says, don't avenge not, vindicate, retaliate, 
or punish yourselves. Don't seek avenge and revenge by your own hand, but trusting the Lord. And in Proverbs 24, 29, Say not, I will do so to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Now, you think about this, that as, as God could have, people's got the wrong thinking in their mind as, as if we deserve forgiveness from God. If, if I deserved it, then it could not be that grace that Daniel spoke about. If I, if I earned it, then it wouldn't be grace. It couldn't be of favor and mercy and compassion It'd be of reward because I've earned it. But you know, as, as we would seek vengeance, a lot of times, now tell me if this ain't the truth, a lot of times we perceive that we've been done wrong when really there was no wrong intended to be done. A lot of times we, we think somebody's done us evil when in truth there was no evil really intended to be done. You know where that came from? From Satan. In the imagination and the thoughts of the mind, he produces a lot of this evil. And if, if I sought judgment on somebody that I felt had really stabbed me in the back, and then the truth is, they had no intent or intention of evil whatsoever then you see, I've, I've done great evil. And recognize this, the devil's in your carnal mind. He's in your carnal mind seeking to divide and bring about this. But God says, trust in me and I'm going to judge righteously. Trust me and let me be the judge. You don't need God's place. He says in Deuteronomy, and this is where that this is quoted from, to me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come will come. So God is God's aware, God's watching, He's not asleep, He's not, uh, he's not missed evil, God's aware. And God says in Deuteronomy, their feet's going to slide. They're near to the judgment. You know, that's where our world is. They're so near to the judgment of the wrath of God. All it would take is one slip of the foot, literally. One slip of the foot and our heads bashed and we're gone. And in the judgment of God we stand. But God's merciful. He's long-suffering. He bears long. Well, I wish God wouldn't bear so long with them. And we've forgotten how long that He bore with us. We've forgotten how merciful and loving and kind that God has been with us. God forbid that we forget the goodness of God that's been shown us. So recognizing this then, He says, therefore... If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, 
Thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. This is just about a word for word quote from Proverbs 25. So Paul's looking back at the Old Testament again. This is not something Paul's making up. But this is that that God wrote by Solomon, the wisest man, hundreds of years before Paul's here. So this is, this is the Word of God. He says, don't avenge yourself. God's going to bring vengeance. That was written by Moses. And here, when your enemy would hunger, feed him. And when he's thirsty, give him drink. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5, in that Sermon on the Mount, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So the goodness of God now is extended unto the entire world. And I, I recognize this. There's a lot of people right now that's in a lot of suffering. And the mind of man looks on that and, and you know, we think, well, they, they don't deserve to go through that. But that's, that really, that's corrupt thinking. Because whatever state we're in, if we're not burning in hell, then we're better off than what we deserve. We've not gotten what we've earned, but God has been good unto us. And so he says, your father that's in heaven, he sends rain on those that, that look up to him and that worship him and that recognize him as God and that honor him. And he sends, it, he sends rain and he sends goodness on those that give no thought towards him whatsoever. He sends rain and goodness to those that curse him. He sends goodness to those that worship and fall down to false gods and mock at the Word of God. God's good to them as well. And you know how we know that? Because there was a time in your life, if you're saved, if you're not, then you're in that time of life right now. But there was a time in your life when you were dead in trespasses and sins you are under the control and the leadership of the devil. And you lived in absolute rebellion against God. And yet God was good to you in those days. The truth is God, God kept you. He kept you from dying. He kept you alive. He watched over and protected you that you might come to the knowledge of the truth and be delivered from that darkness. But the goodness of God didn't start when man thinks God's going to be good once you come to the altar. My God, God was good before I ever thought about Him. God was good before I ever thought I needed to be saved. And my trip to the altar was a product of the goodness and grace of God in my life. That was, not, that was not me coming and then God showing me goodness. But I came because He loved me first and by His Spirit and power He spoke to me and brought me to Him. So when I was His enemy, He fed me. 
He brought me the Word of God. When I was His enemy, He gave me drink. He gave me a drink of the water of life. And do you know what that done to me? That changed me. Didn't it? It changed who we were. It changed the way we thought. It changed the way that we loved. Is there any place in your life that the goodness of God did not transform it? As I look on what I was, God changed every facet of my life, of my thinking, of my love, and of my desire. And to compare the two now, what I was of myself and of my doing, and I I don't want to boast in me, but I, I can't recognize the man that I was before. That's the kind of grace that God brought to me that I could be changed. And so God says, I've poured out my goodness on you. When you were evil, I was good to you. And not just evil in general, but when you were evil towards me, I was good to you. When you were hateful to me, I was good to you. And so God says, when your enemy, those that that you would account as your enemy, not just somebody that's hateful or mean, we all know people like that, but we're talking about somebody that seeks your hurt, somebody that despises you and wants to see you to fail and be destroyed and be hurt, that wants to see you be wounded. God says when your enemy's hungry, you feed them and you give them drink because that's the way I do. For if you love them which love you, this is still Matthew 5, if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? You know what you can look at? You can look at all manner of brotherhoods in the world that are put together for a wicked cause. And they love each other. Though wicked and evil. And and even their coming together is wrapped up in sin and rebellion towards God, yet they love one another. The publicans do that. What have you got to boast in if you love them that love you? You're doing the way the, the dying world does. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? See, man thinks. Man thinks in his mind that he's doing some great work. And he's puffed up in what he's doing. And the God's truth is, he's no better than the wicked world that's living out there. If you're going to salute your brethren only, what good have you done? Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, when you read something like that, this is what you hear. And this is what comes, it comes right here. Well, nobody's perfect. I'll give you that. Nobody's perfect. But you know, that inward man, that inward man that is perfect, that's renewed in the grace and power of God, that inward man that's from the seed of God, 
that is a son of God. He is perfect. And you know what his desire is? He wants to be like the Father. And so Jesus says, Be ye therefore perfect. Strive to be like your Father that brought you into this world. And so here in Romans chapter 12, if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So God's not saying, this is what you're going to do that's going to punish him and melt him down. But you know, the goodness of God on us that brought us to repentance and a change of mind, that goodness that we would show even our enemy might burn in their heart and in their mind and bring about a change of mind. You know, maybe they're not as bad as I thought they were. Though they're the enemy of the church, the love that is working in the church might bring about a change of mind in their lives. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So verse 21. Now, I believe this ties back several verses there that we've looked at in Romans. Be not overcome, subdued. It's the same word in John where he says, greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. We're not overcome. He's overcame us. That, it means to subdue. So don't be subdued of evil. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So do you see the way sin is? Jeremiah, he reads us the uh, problem with the heart of man as well, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So man seeks his own deception and sin is deceiving as well. So the Word of God there is saying exhort one another. You speak to one another, encourage one another, warn one another, lest sin creep in and deceive you. Lest you think something that's not true because sin has blinded you to the truth. That's the way evil is. Evil creeps in and it corrupts our thinking, deceives us and subdues us. Nobody, nobody in their in their willingness of their mind, wants to be subdued and under the influence or control of evil. Now do you? You don't want that. If you're saved, the inward man does not desire that. Guaranteed. But I think even the natural man, as we reasonably think about this, we don't want to be subdued by evil. But I tell you, without, without the warning of the Word of God, without exhortation from the Word of God without seeking God's face in prayer on our knees and seeking His guidance. You know what evil does? It creeps in and deceives and blinds and subdues us. I think the wrath here is what we're seeing. You know the way wrath is? 
anger. Something happens and I blow up in wrath. You know what that does? It subdues me. And if I'm not careful, I'll act in a way that I'm going to be very ashamed of. I'm going to do things and say things that that I would never say otherwise. But because that wrath has subdued me, it's overcame me, now I'm going to act in a way that that I will be. Guaranteed, I'll be ashamed of it. We'll see the Word of God is there that it would subdue us, that we wouldn't be overcome of evil. In James 1.14, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is all in a man. It's inside of a man. And a man lusts, and a man desires, and a man wants, and a man thinks, and a man ponders, and a man justifies, and before long, if it's not headed off by the Word of God, before long a man's hands is in that sin. His lust started that. That lust was allowed to, to grow, to mature. Man's carnal mind in his desire for sin, man can justify absolutely anything. There are people, reasonable, sane people, that have murdered others and in their mind it was justified. We've got the same, same corrupt nature and mind that they've got. So he says, be not overcome of evil. Don't be subdued by evil or the, the old man, but overcome evil with good. So in 1 Samuel 26, verse 21, Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. So here's an account from two men we know very well. Saul, the king, and David, the anointed future king. And Saul, his madness, Saul was overcome of evil. You see that? against a man that had done him no hurt, had only helped his kingdom, Saul's overcome of evil and seeks the destruction of David. And two occasions, God delivers Saul right into David's hands. One time, God brings Saul right at his feet asleep. And both times, David is merciful and good. Now, had the tables been turned... If that had been David, and Saul would have been standing there, he'd have smote him. He'd have killed him. He was David's sworn enemy, but David showed him good and kindness. And when he recognizes this, Saul says, I'm the one that's wrong. You've showed me nothing but goodness. And so the evil that had subdued Saul was overcome by the goodness that was shown by David. And so could, could that work in our day as well? By the grace of God, that could work in our day as well. As God would encourage, as God would speak, 
This is He's directing us on our, our values and morals in the new world. You know, when Christ began the church and people were saved and regenerated, this was, this was a race of people that had never been on the earth before. Here's people that have God dwelling in them. That have not the nature of Adam, but now they've got the, the nature and mind of Christ in them through this salvation. This is something brand new. And God through His Word, He's, he's laying out the, the laws and the rules of the heavenly city, of the church, of the living God. And this is the way God says for us to live. So chapter 13, this is some tough verses. And I hate to start, but we've got, we've got a lot of time left. So we'll start here. Let's read the first few verses. Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So there's a lot of things that could be taken. And I, I've heard this scripture, I've heard it applied a lot of different ways. But if you're going to follow the context of the Scripture, he's talking about the responsibility of the church to the government. Now we know that Jesus, as He lived, one of the chief accusations they made against Jesus was He's seeking to forsake Caesar and He's telling people not to pay taxes. That's the way they accused the Lord Jesus before Pilate. And so the church... Even, even all the way back to Nehemiah and Ezra's day when they wanted to rebuild the uh, Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. The enemies in that day wrote a letter to the king that said, these people when they build the city, they're going to rebel against you and they're not going to pay their taxes and they're going to seek the herd of the kingdom and they're not going to be your servants any longer. So this is something that has always been hailed against the people of God, and falsely so. So Paul starts here about the authority of the government and the state. Let every soul be subject, so that's to subordinate, for there is no power but of God. So God, remembering this now, God is the sovereign power in control of everything. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful with this Scripture, you can justify things that should not be justified. God allowed Ahab to be the king of Israel. 
Was Ahab God's man? He was not. He was in rebellion towards God. But you know, God let him come into power and all of these other wicked kings, they came into power that God might bring judgment. So don't justify that that's evil. But realize this now, that the power that is, God is the one that's over all of the power. Whether it's magistrates, whether it's the county, the state, the federal, whatever control that there is, God is at the head of all things. And God's ordained, that word ordained there in verse 1, to arrange in an orderly manner. God ordained that there be government over man. He ordained that to be. Even, even in the Old Testament, we know it wasn't God's will that they have a king there, but God had judges, and God had priests, and He had, you know, he had them in order. And there was an order, if there was a question of the law, you come to the local judge. And if that local judge couldn't answer, you went to the priest. If the priest couldn't answer, you went to the high priest. There was an orderly arrangement that things and problems between men and women be handled. And there was a law, not just a law towards God, but there was a law to protect life and to protect property and to protect family and to protect houses. And God, God gave that to Moses. It was ordained of God. And what's the purpose of human government? Well, in this Scripture, the purpose of human government is to punish those that would do evil. Listen, in uh, Deuteronomy 25, if there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment that the judges may judge them, they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. What's the judge supposed to do? He's supposed to judge rightly. But don't, don't take a payment under the table and let the wicked go free. But when they come before the judge, the judge's duty before God is those that are innocent to claim them as innocent and those that are evil to judge them as evil. Recognizing this, that God is the chief judge. You see, people could say, well, well, we ought not put people in prison. We ought not charge fines and we ought not have the death penalty because God's going to judge them. True, God's going to judge them. But God's also ordained a government and gave power to them that they might bring judgment on the evil. That righteousness might be upheld in another place. Deuteronomy 17. And the man that will do presumptuously and will not hearken unto the priest that standeth to minister before the Lord thy God or unto the judge, even that man shall die and thou shalt put away evil from Israel. Why would God have men like this that are presumptuous? They are self-willed and this is their thinking, I'm not going to obey any law that they give me. But I'm going to rebel. God says, take that man out of society for the good of society. If you have people like that out in the freedom 
of society, they're only going to harm other people. They're only going to cause trouble and they're going to lead others away in their error. So God's law says, stone that man. If he's not going to repent, and if he's not going to change, then take him out of society. That he wouldn't harm anybody else. Now there's the role of, there's the, role of the state and of the judges that God has ordained. Is that what happens today? So, you know, you, you think about this and people say, well, you ought not question anything that goes on. I, I disagree with that. I believe we ought to call the state to meet their requirements that they have before God. You know that, that the United States government has a responsibility unto God. Do you believe that? That they're accountable to God. So what's wrong with saying... You ought to do your duty. And you ought to do as, as God's Word, if I'm supposed to do what God's Word says for me to do, why shouldn't the state do what God's Word says for them to do? God's granted them power. God's gave them authority. And God expects out of them. And if they'll misuse their office, God will judge that as well. And so when they will not, when they will not do their job, and when they won't do their duty, it's the responsibility of the people to say, you've got a, you've got a responsibility before God to uphold justice and righteousness. And you, you look at look at the corruption of man now. God says, remove that man that's going to live that way from society. And our world's thinking today says we ought to let them all go back into society. We ought to release them back because, because they're, they're going to do different. I, I don't see that. That's not what God says in the book. So the role of government is for the good of the people. It's to protect life. It's to protect the citizens, to protect their freedom, to protect them that they may live peaceably in this world. But corruption, and we're out of time. It's 11 o'clock, so we'll stop right there. Maybe I'll read one more verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 5. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, as an error which proceeds from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich set in a low place. Solomon says, I've seen a great error, and I've seen great folly. And it proceeds from the ruler. This is a problem that starts at the top of the food chain. You know what they're doing at the top of the food chain? They're saying evil is good. And good is evil. They're exalting the wicked and they're casting down the good. You see, government can become corrupt and in rebellion towards God. And I'm afraid that's where we are today.